Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." Father in heaven, I thank you for the people in front of me and the people behind me, the people above me. And we are trembling at the thought that you want to speak to us now. Because if you didn't shield us with the righteousness of Jesus, one word from your mouth would incinerate us, sinners that we are. So with fear and trembling, we gladly take our position under your word And ask that you would speak. Help me to be faithful to the scriptures. And help us to have minds that are conformed not to this world but to Christ. So that they can grasp what is written. Protect us from the evil one, Father, I pray. Don't let him pluck it off the path or choke it out or dry it up. Save the lost, strengthen the saints, heal the sick, reconcile the estranged, encourage the downhearted, befriend the lonely, direct the confused, give light to those in darkness, humble the proud. And do a thousand more things that I can't even ask with your living and active word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and able to judge the secrets of the heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The most dangerous thing today in the light of all of the talk about faith-based organizations and social ministries is that we would, as Christians, begin to think the way the world thinks about Christianity. I've struggled for 21 years plus not to think this way. Because the battle is very powerful inside and outside the church to let the world set the agenda, determine the starting point, and define the categories for what Christianity is. The world views Christianity as useful, depending on whether it has some social or psychological or physical benefits for us and our society. 
The world does not assess Christianity as true or false, but as useful or harmful. The world does not see Christianity as a divine revelation that is true and necessary, but as human opinion. Perhaps respectable, if it can accomplish, like other organizations, good things for us. And the great danger is that we will begin to think about our church and the Christian faith that way. A reporter comes to interview a, a pastor and immediately sets the categories in which the pastor may now explain church, faith, Christ. What are you doing for affordable housing? What are you doing for the homeless? What do you do for families to hold them together? What do you do for sobriety? What do you do about the crime problem? And the categories are defined. Now, those are legitimate questions. And if you buy into the secular mindset that starts there, and let them determine and define your categories of explaining who you are and what you do, you will promote the erroneous notion that the church of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, are not authoritative revelations from God that everyone needs to know in order to have everlasting life, but are simply the activities of man that may or may not, from time to time, be useful. Now, the reason I begin this way is because I am going to come back at the end of this message in just a few minutes and take this glorious text, verse 1 of chapter 8, and tell you some sweet and precious practical uses and implications of this truth. But I want you to know and feel at the outset that if you let the world define the categories, set the starting point for understanding who we are and what Christ does in the world, you will not know what Christianity is. The essence of Christianity is that God is the ultimate value in the universe, not man. Nobody in this room thinks that way, feels that way, or acts that way, nor anybody outside this room. Therefore, we are all guilty of high treason under the wrath of God and deserve everlasting exclusion from his presence and suffering. And there is one and only one way to reconcile these rebels called humans and this holy, just, all-glorious, infinitely valuable God, and that is the one man, 
the mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. That's Christianity. Before there's any talk about housing, before there's any talk about drugs, before there's any talk about families, Christianity is all about God's glory, my alienation, reconciliation through Jesus, faith alone, and then a life of growing holiness. The world will have nothing of it, but they will happily welcome you into the market if you will just shut your mouth about that and help life get along a little better. Romans 1 to 7 lays it all out. I tried to sum it up last week. Holy God, sinful man, coming wrath, perfect Savior, Jesus Christ crucified and risen, justification by faith alone, sanctification by faith for those who are now in Him. This is the essence of Christianity. This is what we speak. This is what we proclaim. This is what we ought to be willing to suffer and lay down our lives for and spend a lot more of our money for and simplify our lives a lot more than our lives are simplified down to a wartime lifestyle than we do. Well, it's all summed up in chapter 8. And in chapter 8, it's all summed up in one sentence. And the sentence begins the chapter. So that's where we're going to begin now as we move into chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to divide it into two pieces. The gift and who it is that enjoys the gift. The gift is no condemnation. Those who enjoy the gift are only those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's take those one at a time. And believe me, I am aware of how inadequate what I now say will be to that text. And therefore, we will come back again to this text And uh, we will never exhaust it. This is unspeakably good news of which we must speak. So let's take the gift first. Now, no condemnation. Now to get at this, I want you to ponder with me the two connotations of the word now that might be meant here in this verse. Let me illustrate them and then go and find the answer in the text. There is a finally now meaning for the word now. And there is an already now meaning for the word now. For example, you're five-year-old. Any five-year-olds in the crowd? Don't raise your hand. But you have a granddaddy and he sends you a big box a week before your birthday with big red letters written across the top. Open on your birthday. Sits there for a week. And every morning she gets up. Can I open it now? Nope, you can't open it now. Not until your birthday. Next morning, can I open it now? No, not now. Can I open it now? And then finally now comes the birthday and the opening and the gift. That's one meaning of the word 
now. Finally, now. Here's the other one. That same granddaddy sends a $5,000 check to the father of that little girl, his son. And in it, there's a letter that says, son, I'm old. And you know that someday, probably soon, you're going to be the heir of my estate. But I know that already now is when you need it. And so I'm going to give you some of it now, already. That's a very different connotation for the word now than finally now. Already now? Now I ask you, which one of those is in this text? When it says, now, no condemnation. Now, is it finally now, no condemnation? Or is it already now, no condemnation? What do you think? <laughs> and I bet you know the answer. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I, the, I, I came to this text knowing I wanted to do something with the word now. But to get the answer, I, I read the chapter 8. And I saw both of them crystal clear. Finally now and already now. So let me just show you where I found it. Verse 3 is the finally now. Verse 3. For what the law could not do. We've had this law a long time. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did finally, you could say. God did it finally. God did. What did he do? Sending his own son... In the likeness of sinful flesh, mark that word likeness, he was not a sinner. In the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, now here's the key word that links it with verse 1. He condemned, that's the verb of the noun condemnation in verse 1. He condemned sin in the flesh. Finally, now, there's more than law. What the law couldn't do, oh, the law could command me, the law could condemn me, the law could point me, as chapter 3, verse 21 says it did, toward a fact that someday there's a Redeemer coming to solve the problem of the law. It's coming. The law can do all that, but there's something the law could never do. There had to be a son. There had to be a, a gift, a mediator. There had to be a solution to my condemnation problem. You know, you might say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. The law condemns. The law condemns. So what does he mean when he says what the law could not do? He did condemning. The law is a perfectly good, good condemner. So what, what do you mean the law couldn't do this, what you did when you condemned sin in the flesh? Well, a Bible lover doesn't feel skepticism at that moment. It says, okay, you're the Bible, I'm a sinner, tell me what you mean. 
And the Holy Spirit opens your eyes more. He says, well, if this is something the law cannot do, then there must be a way that Jesus or God, the Father, condemns sin in his Son that's different from the way the law condemns sin. And there is a massive difference. And the difference is this. What God did in condemning sin in the flesh was to condemn it such that it vanished forever. When the law condemns you, it's just there on you. It's just on you. Taking you to hell. That's all the law can do is condemn you by pointing out your guilt and leaving it right there on your head. And it points to one, a son, who's going to come. And when he bears the condemnation, it disappears. It's gone. And there is therefore now no condemnation. Finally. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus absorbs the condemnation for those who are in him. And it's gone. What about the other use of the word now? Already now? Look at verse 33. Romans 8, 33. Paul looks to the future and knows there's a judgment coming. And you and I, with our sin are going to stand before an infinitely wise, holy, just God. And there'll be no plea bargaining. And he says, who will bring a charge? Notice the future tense. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Well, the devil will. My conscience will. Some vicious people maybe on the periphery of the courtroom. Will? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? There's the key word again. That's what made me link this verse up. Who's going to condemn? Who's going to condemn? His answer Jesus Christ died. You get the connection? He put the Son forward and He condemned sin in the flesh of His own Son. You know, if you ask, how can He condemn sin? This Son had no sin. He is in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's not a sinner. So what sin got condemned in Jesus? When the, when the wrath and the condemnation of God fell on Jesus, the sinless one, how in the world did sin get condemned? There wasn't any there. Unless being in Jesus, for those who are in Christ Jesus, unless being in Jesus means in God's sight, I was there with my sin. And I got condemned with my sin and I died with him. And therefore, my condemnation is over. The verdict that is going to be rendered at the last judgment on John Piper was delivered A.D. 33. That's the gospel. 
That's Christianity. That's the message for this city above all and under all other messages. There is coming a last judgment over every soul in this room. You will stand before a holy God. And when you stand there, your conscience will condemn you because you will have brought with you your entire history of Roman 7 failures. What will you say when your whole life comes to your mind before an infinitely flaming, holy, just judge? You will say, already in A.D. 33, my judgment fell on me in Jesus. So already now, now, before the judgment, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's take the second half of the verse. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Very simple observations I want to make. Two very simple observations. There is an in Christ and there is an outside Christ. Not everyone is included in this substitution. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. If you're outside Christ, there's only condemnation forever. So I ask now, where are you? Where are you? Are you in Christ or outside of Christ? You get over to chapter 9, verse 3, and you have this trembling, awful, terrifying confirmation of this truth that there's an in and there's an out. Where Paul says, I could wish, I could wish that I were accursed separated from Christ for my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, I know my kinsmen are apa to Christu, not en Christo. There's two, two kinds of people in the world. Those that are en Christo. You know that Greek phrase? Translate it for me. En Christo. Good. Those who are in Christ and then those who are, you, you don't know this preposition probably, apa from to Christu, from Christ, separated from him. That's the only kind of people there are in the world. In Christ or not in Christ. And in Christ, no condemnation. Outside Christ, condemnation forever. Unless... They hear the Christ. And you know where the Christ stands? He stands at the door of Christ. And his arms are this, this wide. And the voice coming out of his mouth is, Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come drink of the water of life freely. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come, I am not a small hotel. 
There is always, and I repeat it, there is always room for another repentant sinner in Jesus. Jesus is not small. He's magnificently, infinitely large. And in Christ is room for everybody who will come. And the only reason that you don't benefit from no condemnation is because you choose not to come. You don't fall in to this wonderful place. The second observation about this phrase is is implicit already, namely, if you're not in Christ, then what happened to him did not happen to you. If you're in him, what happened to him happened to you. So, verse 3 becomes the key to our life. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God in His great love with which He loved us did, sending His own Son between condemnation and guilty sinner, and He condemned whose sin? In the flesh. Answer, everybody who's in Him. Or will be in Him. That's whose sin was crushed at Calvary. If you're in Him, your sin is condemned. Already now, finally now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I just plead with you, this is so clear. This is so precious. Don't stand outside this morning. The coming is not a working. The coming is a trusting. The coming is a resting. The coming is an embracing and a falling and a tasting and a believing. Now I'm going to close the way I promised I would. I began this message by saying we're in grave danger of letting the world define Christianity. What you doing for housing? What you doing about drugs? What you doing about crime? What you doing about this? And we're intimidated. We feel like, oh, if I don't have a good program, then I guess I better keep my mouth shut. As though this gospel, as though the best news that the universe ever heard of reconciliation with Almighty Creator God for everlasting joy is not 10,000 times better. You know, you may say to me right now, Okay, I've heard the talk, and I've heard you dump on, on uh, the world's agenda. And frankly, I don't find what you say helpful at all. I've got problems in my life. To which I might say, you know what? If you spent the next 85 years on planet Earth... Totally miserable. With no condemnation on your head. And then enter into 85 million ages of years. With an all-satisfying God who's your father and not your judge. It would have been a good exchange. And I'm not ashamed to say that. To anybody, in any courtroom, in any setting, in the world, it is so obvious. 
So why are we intimidated? However, I promised you I would end with practical implications. But I do it with fear and trembling because as much as I believe in it, I'm scared of it. I'm scared of it in this day and age because we have people everywhere who will take our Christianity if it's just useful. They don't care if it's true. They don't care about this no condemnation stuff. They don't care about this God stuff. Just will it help me get along? And I tremble that we buy it and we sell it precisely for those prices. But it's practical. (laughs) There are incredible blessings that come through this gospel. For the now, and I'll give you several as we close. Number one, what about physical pain? Suppose now this morning you've got some terrible chronic illness, or you just were told by the doctor you've got a terminal disease. Or you've got, you've got a disease that is very painful. Painful. I mean, it hurts. It hurts. And suppose it just goes on hurting. And suppose you get old and you come near the end of your life and it looks like it's going to hurt worse instead of less. In fact, instead of resulting in healing, it's going to result in death. There are diseases like that. What are you going to do when Satan, your own conscience, and some Job's comforters come to you and say, you know what? You're under God's condemnation. That's what's wrong. He's angry at you. You're being judged. What are you going to do? How are you going to survive? How are you going to not go under emotionally as well as physically? And the answer is... Romans 8, 1. You're going to get in Satan's face and you say, get out of my life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I lean on Jesus. I look away from myself and all my guilt and all my sin to Jesus. And I know by His Word that I am in Him. And in Him there is no condemnation. Because 2,000 years ago, He bore my judgment. There's no double jeopardy in this courtroom. I am innocent, not guilty before a holy God. He is not my angry judge. He's my loving Father. Whatever happens to me is for my good. Get out of here! My own conscience and my demonic, fiendish counselors. That's the way I'll survive. That moment. What about no condemnation in marriage difficulties? Is that practical enough? Anybody have any problems in your marriage? Suppose you're this morning disappointed. I mean, maybe some of you are really big-time, lifelong disappointed. It isn't what you bargained for at all. How are you going to find the emotional and moral power not to return evil for evil? To return good for evil. To be kind and forgiving and loving and tender-hearted. When you feel so unjustly handed by God. Answer, 
You're going to remind yourself day in and day out, I'm a sinner. I'm an ungodly, undeserving, hell-deserving sinner. And there flies over my life a blood-bought banner. No condemnation. I swim in a reservoir of free grace and I will manage a lifetime of buckets for my wife. I don't care what she does. That'd save a marriage or few. That would save a marriage. And maybe after a thousand buckets, God would step in. And make it good. I I know the testimonies. It does happen, folks. But you know what? If it never happens, it's okay. It's okay. You got 85 million ages of years when there is no more marriage or giving in marriage, but only our husband. And the sweetest, deepest pleasures you will ever know. Dip into the reservoir of no condemnation. Pour them out on husband. Pour them out on wife. And maybe the third illustration I should use is, what if your kid is breaking your heart? And your own conscience is quite adequate to tell you you're the problem. It's your fault. It's your fault. How are you going to stay above water? How are you going to just keep on with, with, the, with the other kids? Or how are you going to keep on with that kid? How are you going to keep loving? How are you going to keep coming back? You know what? You will never sort out how much is your fault and how much wasn't. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. You will never sort that out. So, you come to me for counseling on that issue and say, can you help me sort this out? You know what I'm going to say? No. (laughs) My next sentence is going to be, nor do I care, nor need you care. You'll never sort that out. I got good news for you. You're standing with Almighty God and the moral resources that you can appropriate for living on your face in humility before that kid don't depend on whether you blew it or not. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for any parent in Christ Jesus. So that's practical. Here's what might happen. Living, swimming in that ocean of no condemnation grace. You know what will happen? You will be so humbled. This is the mark of whether it's really happening or not, by the way. we got a lot of people who hit people over the head with with their doctrine. The the evidence of, of whether... Glorious doctrine like this is taking any effect in people's lives is how humble it makes them. If you humble yourself under this child so that you go to this kid five or fifty and say, you know, I don't know how much is me and how much is you and how much is your sister, brother, dad or friends. I just know I got a lot of responsibility here. And I am so sorry for my failures. Where does that freedom come from? Out loud, not feeling it only, but saying it. 
Where does that come from? It comes from Romans 8, 1. And on and on we could go, but I guess stop. We could talk about sexual temptation and no condemnation. We could talk about ministry and no condemnation. We could talk about peer pressure. A lot of young people in this. Let me say a word about this. Just a teeny word. Teeny word. A lot of college students, a lot of high school students in this room. Peer pressure. Oh, is my hair right? Is this the way it's supposed to be on the first day of school? Oh, nobody else has hair like this. Or how do you carry your books this year? Is it like this or like this? Do you use briefcases? Oh, what a nerd. <laughs> Shoes? Ah, they were in last year. Shoot, I should have got rid of them this summer. I mean, come on, get a life. Where are you going to get free from that kind of bondage? Jellyfish. Teenage jellyfish everywhere. I want a few dolphins in this church. Against the tide. Who cares? Good night. And I'll tell you how you get free from that kind of bondage. There is therefore now no condemnation over your head. You've got a Father in Heaven whose approval of you is 10,000 times more important than what Mary or Joe think about what you're wearing or whether the right kind of cool word just came out of your mouth or you saw the right TV program or the right movie or like the right group or wear the right shoes or get the hair twisted just right. Come on, let's be free. Christianity is about freedom. And then I'll close by saying, you know, all this freedom that I'm talking about here, all this no condemnation, liberty is not to free you up to be a fat cat American consumer. Well, the pastor, he dumped on social action this morning. So I'm free. Go back to my nice suburban house and my three or four cars with my two cabins and my boats and my whatever. And because I don't have to worry about housing. I don't have to worry about poverty. I don't have to worry about drugs. I don't have to worry about broken families. I don't have to worry about 10,000 people a day who fall into eternity in lands that have no church. Because he said, it's about me and God getting right with each other. That's the devil talking. You talk to me like that, I say, you didn't get it at all. You are free to die. You are free to become radical. You are free to serve. And I could preach another message here, but we got lots more years, God willing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, here's the ministry fair waiting for us to go find a life of service and giving because we're so free we're so free to die help the people get it Lord I pray help them to get it and may those who are outside Christ hear Jesus beckoning come 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 would you stand for a benediction The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you freedom and peace and remind you day in and day out, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.